Good morning. Grab a Bible or a phone or a tablet that won't distract you with football. I love football. Football's great, but it does not hold a candle to how fun this is going to be today. So, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. We have been in the book of Daniel for several months now, and we've been looking at some of the familiar stories and some of the stranger things that maybe we haven't paid attention to in the past, in the second half of Daniel especially. But I hope that you've gotten a, a better understanding of the, the book of Daniel, the stories, the prophecies, the man himself, his friends, the kings. And we are entering the last section of Daniel today with chapter 10. So I am excited and a little bit fearful to try to figure this out today with you. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read all of Daniel chapter 10 and then into the first verse of chapter 11 because those guys back in the medieval times got the verses and the chapters wrong every once in a while. So we're going to read the first, all the way through the first verse of chapter 11. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, all the way through 11, 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves." So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to understand your word this morning. I pray for those who are already bored stiff, who maybe who are tired, maybe who don't like the sound of my voice maybe who are in rebellion against you. Lord, for whatever those reasons, those range of reasons, Lord, wake us up in whatever way we need to understand your word today. Maybe today we'll be pushed to study 
more. Maybe we'll be pushed to look up cross-references. Maybe, Lord, we'll be convicted of our sin and maybe we'll be encouraged to move ahead and to be strengthened and to have peace. Lord, we need peace. We thank you for the way that you spoke to Daniel 2,500 years ago and we pray, Lord, that you now would speak to us today through your word that we might have the strength that we need to live in this world and be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to do something really hard this morning. I want you to imagine with me a long sermon. I know it's not happened before from this stage. But imagine, if you would, hypothetically, a long sermon. In fact, imagine a really long introduction. A good one where Pastor Ron probably or maybe Pastor AJ or perhaps me is really captivating in that introduction. I mean, just grabbing the historical background, telling stories, giving information, grabbing your attention. Your pen is poised for notes. You're ready to go. And then you see that the pastor says, and now for point number one. And you look at your watch at the clock and gasp. It's 1030. It's not 1030. Unless they're messing with me again. No? Okay. It's 1030. How in the world is he going to get through all these notes? How is he going to finish this passage? You know what? That's exactly what happens when you read Daniel 10. Because the entire thing is introduction. The whole thing is introduction to chapters 11 and 12. Go ahead and look at chapter 11. Look how many verses there are there. How many verses are in chapter 11? 45. That's a lot of verses. Then you got chapter 12. It's all one big, long vision. And chapter 10 is one big, long introduction with weird repetitions. And I don't know how many angels and all kinds of weird things. This is what chapter 10 is. So I am preaching a sermon on an introduction and I just introduced the sermon about an introduction. And that's like Inception or something. I don't know what's happening right now. (laughs) But we're going to try to set the stage for what Pastor AJ is going to unfold for us next week in chapter 11 and then the week after that, Pastor Ron in chapter 12. That's our our hope today to get through this in chapter 10. It's going to set the table for the longest vision of the book of Daniel. The last and longest vision. It is terrifying to Daniel. It is time-consuming. It is confusing, to say the least. And so I want us to kind of zero in on what's happening in in chapter 10. There are a lot of what-ifs. There are a lot of theories. There are a lot of disagreements. And we want to touch on those. We want to drill down and see what God is doing by sending these angels to Daniel. So if you'll see in your notes... Kind of the summary of what's happening here is that world events and the prayers of God's people are mysteriously intertwined as spiritual forces engage in great cosmic conflict behind the scenes. But we can be confident that God is moving history along toward his desired end. That's a really long sentence and I probably would have gotten marks off, but that's about, that's about how I could summarize this. There's, there is a curtain being pulled. And so if you remember the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Well, we are pulling the curtain back and looking at the functionings of the universe. Uh, there's not a lot of conclusions to draw here. I think there actually is probably more questions because of what is brought up and the glimpse that we're given. But, but also, God is not like pulling the curtain back and letting it see and going, ha, 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 that makes no sense, huh? That's not, I don't believe that's what the Lord is doing. In fact, I, I think in the kindness of God, um, those who lived in the last 1900 years have actually been able to read the book of Revelation and see more of what God has rolled out since the book of Daniel. In fact, a fun thing to do this afternoon would be to read um, Dan, uh, Revelation chapter 1 and then kind of skim through, maybe take a look at chapter 12 and 19 and 20, 21 and 22 and compare it with some of the things that we're reading here in Daniel. There's books that are opened and books that are closed and books that are reopened and books that are closed and books that are judged. It's amazing to see what's going on in those books. But as we've gone through the book of Daniel, we've seen the lion's den. We've seen uh, the fiery furnace. We've seen uh, dreams interpreted. We've seen... Um, All of these stories that very many of us are familiar with, the writing on the wall, 
And so it's, it's interesting that we have gone through all of this and now we get to the end of the book of Daniel. And I think it's really important that whatever cartoon is in your head or Bible storybook that is in your head or something recently, we're talking about an old man, possibly an old frail man. We're talking about not Daniel, the young man at the beginning of the book who is defying the, the governor and going against the king and um, rescuing his friends and doing all of these things. We're, we're talking about an old man, probably in his mid to late 80s, um, who has seen it all. He was exiled from Jerusalem in a 605 BC. And now we know because of the date that we're given right there at the beginning of chapter 10, that we are 68 to 71 years later. That's the best estimate. So assuming that Daniel was a teenager, we're talking about a man in his 80s, uh, early, mid, late 80s. An, an old, gen, older gentleman um, who has served through various kings. He served through actually two kingdoms, the Babylonian kingdom and now the Persian kingdom. This is the man I want you to have in your head as we read this. An old man, white hair. Um, he has lived a good, faithful life to the Lord. And this is his last, his last vision. So point number one in your notes, God reveals answers and future happenings to his seeking servant. God reveals answers and future happenings to his seeking servant. Um, what's interesting is that if we can put together the Bible stories from various books and put it to, together chronologically, what's really important to notice here is taking um, piggybacking on what Pastor Ron has preached the last two weeks from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was studying Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied 70 years of exile. Um, Daniel was doing the math. He's a smart guy. Um, and he said, you know, this is, this is going to happen. And, and we go back to Belshazzar's feast and the writing on the wall and the Persian Empire coming in and overthrowing the Babylonians. One of the very first things that Cyrus does, the new king, is he lets the Jewish people go back. In fact, he gives them his blessing and sends them back to go rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. And you can read more about that in, in Ezra and Nehemiah over dozens and dozens of years. But this is all happening while Daniel is serving out the last years of his, of his service to the king. And one of the first questions we should ask is, why didn't Daniel go home? Remember, he's, he's opening his window three times a day and he's praying toward Jerusalem. And now we know in, historically that a, a group of thousands of Israelites, of Jews, travel back to the Holy Land. Why is Daniel still here? Why didn't he go back? We can only speculate. But I think that part of the reason is because Daniel probably saw that he had a role to play where he was. Perhaps he was too old to make that trip, to go back to a place that was destroyed. There was uh, walls and the cities were strewn about and there was a rebuilding process that had to happen. Perhaps he saw that his position in government could best serve his brothers and sisters, his fellow Israelites. Whatever the case, Daniel's not going back. He's still here. He is in uh, Persia now. So I want to show you verse one is third person. And so this is either an editor or Daniel himself stepping back and kind of setting the stage. So he talks about the third year of Cyrus. In that third year, a word was revealed to Daniel. And he even includes his Babylonian name, perhaps to remind you that he's still in exile. He's still away from home. 70 years later, well, this word that was revealed, or a, or a message, perhaps it could be um, translated, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And summarizing, not only chapter 10, I believe, but chapters 11 and 12 as well, he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And that's what we want to end up at by the end of our time, is with some understanding of the word and the vision. So it, it's really important to note um, that there's this summarizing uh, verse at the beginning, and then boom, verse 2, now we're back to first person. Daniel says, I. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And so this seems to be some kind of semi-fast uh, for three weeks for an old man taking off um, of his best food uh, for three long weeks. Why? T to pray. We can assume 
based on what we see later in the text. But he's mourning. Why is he mourning? His people have just returned to Jerusalem. Again, we can only speculate, but perhaps he's heard of how awful things look back in Jerusalem. Perhaps word has come back that the place is a mess. It's, it's a, a, a wreckage and not a lot of good is happening. Perhaps there was government conflict going on with whether or not they could rebuild the temple. Whatever the case, Daniel is in mourning. And we find out in verse 4 uh, that this is the first month. And if it's the Hebrew calendar, that means it's the time when you would be celebrating Passover. This would be a festive season for the Jewish people. And yet for Daniel, it is a time of mourning. Perhaps he's eating the Passover food, just bread and water for these three weeks to sustain himself during the fast. Whatever the case is, he is purposefully taking a large chunk of his life and not doing it. And one of those is personal hygiene. We see that he is withholding from himself anointing, which is the idea of using oils. And I don't know if they were Young Living or doTERRA, but he was using his, <laughs> he was using his oils as almost everybody did in the Middle East at the time because they lived in a dry climate and because it was part of their deodorizing, it was part of their cleansing, um, it was part of uh, how they went about taking care of their body and he has foregone that. He is fasting from personal maintenance. He is also fasting from his food. Now remember, he is a, a, a very high up in the government. Um, he probably has access to the very best foods and he has said no i'm not going to partake of the wine or the meat and i don't think this is related to chapter one do you remember that when young daniel foregoes the 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 king's um um, food i think that was a particular time particular thing and now he is um just saying i'm not going to partake because i want to focus my time on prayer i don't think that americans are very good modern americans especially are very good at fasting um I've not heard from any of you recently about um, fasts that are going on, which is probably good because it's hard to do that, right? I'm fasting right now. <laughs> Jewels in my crown. But we, we also don't do a very good job because we, we, have, we have sometimes some overzealous health concerns. Um, we think that uh, maybe it's unhealthy to forego food, and perhaps it is for certain people at certain times. But the Scripture tells us that there is something more important than food, and that is God. And the purpose of fasting, um, whatever it be from, um, should be not to lose weight. <laughs> okay? The, the purpose of a, of a fast is to give something up to spend more time doing something more important. To say that I need food, but more than I need food, I need God. And this comes up oftentimes in times of national or personal tragedy. Um, perhaps there is a focused time of learning about fasting and prayer. But this is what Daniel is up to here at the very beginning of the chapter. It's in this context that the rest of the chapter explodes onto the canvas. So if we forget that he's fasting, if we forget that he's old, then we miss out on the scene. Remember, I want us to use our imagination when we're reading the Bible. Don't make stuff up. But, but, but picture things. When you read the word, picture it in your head. Try to figure out what is happening um, here in the book of Daniel. And that leads us to point number two. An angel delivers a knockout blow to God's aging servant. An angel delivers a knockout blow to God's aging servant. He's fasting. He's old. The Israelites have gone back to the land. In verse 4, we get a specific day on the 24th day of the first month. As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, which is interesting because usually the great river in Scripture is the Euphrates. But if you turn to the back of your Bible and look at those maps, um, the fertile crescent of the Middle East, modern-day Iraq, the Euphrates and the Tigris River uh, go down together from the mountains up in Turkey and Armenia, and they make their way to the Persian Gulf. And the only reason there's anything there in the middle of that desert area is because you have these two mighty rivers. He's on the Tigris. Is it a retreat? Has he left... Um, Babylon, has he left Susa? Um, what's he doing here? We don't know, but he's not at the Euphrates. He could be as close as 20 miles to Babylon, or he could be hundreds of miles away on a retreat. Whatever the case is, he's near this great river, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees a man. But this is not just any man. This, this man who shows up, who's described as a man, he's clothed in linen. 
So we get the picture that uh, immediately of white. He maybe looks like a priest to Daniel because the priests would wear often wear linen. But he's got fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. That means the, the highest quality gold. Does that mean it was actually gold or was it golden? Is Daniel doing his best to describe what he saw in a vision? I, I don't know. But, but Daniel is trying to describe what he sees and he sees that this man has a body with like barrel. And I don't mean like barrel chested. <laughs> um, some of your versions might say chrysolite. It's probably like a, like a yellowish, um, um, hue or glow coming off. He's trying to find ways to explain it was like barrel. It wasn't barrel. His face like the appearance of lightning. So the flash, the white and the brightness. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished... Do you understand what's going on here? This is special effects, okay? <laughs> this is special effects so that this is not... Dan doesn't go, huh, look at that. This is like walking out and seeing Magneto floating above the river. And this doesn't happen all the time. That guy's wearing something weird. This is different, okay? This is, this is an angel. Why is, it called, why is he called a man? Because he looks man-ish. He looks like a man. He looks like a human. Um, and he's described in such a way, but we know from Scripture, there's no way this is just a dude. This is not some guy levitating, okay? He doesn't have a harness with an invisible line holding him up above the river. Um, what's happening here is we have an angelic or a heavenly appearance. You can compare this to Ezekiel chapter 1, very similar. Really interesting, you can go and compare it to Revelation chapter 1 when Jesus shows up to the Apostle John and some very, very similar language is used here to show the the heavenly nature of this person. He sees this person, and I think the last part is incredible, and the sound of his words, like the sound of a multitude. He turns the EQs way up, and the the, the sound coming out does not match what looks like just a, a normal human mouth, right? The sound coming out is just overwhelming his earbuds, his senses. He he's having a hard time handling this. What's also interesting is that in verse 7, for some reason, the men who are with Daniel don't see it, but they know something weird is going on, something supernatural. Does that remind you of anywhere else in Scripture? Saul on the Damascus road would be probably the, the closest one to this. Whatever the case is, that we see that, that the great trembling fell upon them. They don't know what they're in the presence of, but they are terrified and they flee. They just take off. Get out of here. They run away. So Daniel, verse 8, is left alone. And he sees this great vision. Now part of my problem all week is studying this, was trying to figure out how to put the pieces together chronologically here. So I had a chronological problem. And I had an angelic problem. And the chronological problem is, is 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12, happening in the middle of chapter 10? Does it happen at the end of chapter 10? How is Daniel piecing this back together as he tells us what happened. And the second problem is there seem to be a lot of angels. And I don't know if they're taking turns or if it's the same angel or if there's five angels, one commentator said. There's five separate angels in this chapter. So I think that should tell us more than just, okay, let's go to the next one. <laughs> let's, just, let's just go to the next one. What that should tell us is the astonishing nature of this event was hard for Daniel to recollect and put back into words. The astonishing nature of this event means that this is a heavenly, supernatural event. An amazing tearing into space and time of a creature unlike any that, unlike any that most people see, although for Daniel, he's had a few experiences with this before. So this old frail man who hasn't been eating or drinking very much sees this. What does he do? He is strengthless in verse 8. All his strength leaves him. Verse uh, 8, My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. Which is interesting. He heard the sound of his words. Did he hear the words? Or is it just incomprehensible, the, the sound, the multitudes are overwhelming him? I don't know. But what he does do is fall unconscious on the ground. Okay? This, this old man on the banks of the Tigris River falls down into a deep sleep. I love the, the biblical picture of falling on your face. Um, if you think about it, that is 
kind of humorous and kind of scary, and it is the falling on the face, this utter, I'm going to die. I can't stay alive in this location. Daniel is knocked out. Now, uh, just a side note, because I think this is, this is going to come up, is many believe that this, is the, this, this appearance of this angel is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. So if some of you have heard this phrase, Christophany, an appearance of Jesus prior to his coming at Christmas, um, there's all kinds of friendly uh, intramural debates about this. Um, I don't think this is Jesus um, for several reasons, one of which we'll get to later. Um, if you think it's Jesus ahead of time, that's, that's okay. That's a, that is a common um, interpretation here of what is happening. But I think that what we see here is an, an astonishing angel who is so incredibly uh, reflective of the glory of God um, that we have a high-ranking angel that shows up. The fact that we're not given a name as we were previously with Gabriel is very interesting. We're also going to get the first mention in this chapter of Michael, one of the chief angels. In the New Testament, he's called an archangel. But this this angel, and unless it's the same angel, there's some more, one, two, three more angels who also aren't named. Whatever the case, the time-space continuum, the fabric has just ripped open, and now we have supernatural beings they're present with Daniel. Now, if you follow any um, teachers who claim to speak to angels or Jesus regularly, ask them how many times they fall unconscious on their face. Because if it hasn't happened, I don't believe it. How many times do you read in the scripture where an angel shows up and the guy says, hey, cool, what's up, bro? Secret handshake, let's go. That doesn't happen. There is, there's generally... There's generally possibly a loss of bodily functions, knees knocking together, falling on the ground. This is what happens, right? There's trembling. Um, what is the most common thing that an angel says to a human being? Fear not, which is hilarious, right? Fear not. There is much to be fearful of when this happens. Um, John MacArthur tells a story one time of a, of a, a gentleman who came up after um, a sermon and said that Jesus shows up to him every morning when he's shaving and they have a conversation. Um, and John MacArthur said, I just have one question for you. Do you keep shaving? The point being, um, when we don't understand our frailty, our weakness as humans, we don't put ourselves in the proper perspective in this universe. <laughs> Until we get that new body, that Jesus is preparing for us, we are weak and frail. At any moment, our bodily functions, from our brains to our hearts to our limbs, could stop. This is an encounter with, at the very least, an astonishing creature that God has made to reflect his glory. Now, we left Daniel... In verse 9, unconscious on the ground. As we get to the next verses, we see more than anything else, there's words dedicated to trying to get Daniel back up and ready to receive the word. Like most of the rest of the chapter is the angel trying to help Daniel, like just stand up and receive the word. Okay? And that's a really interesting purpose. Why? What? Why are we doing this? Why are we recording this? Why is this so important? Why did God find it important enough to give us, 2,500 years later, an account of an old man unconscious on the ground trying to get back up to hear a word from God? Couldn't God just use that? You know, that still small voice would have been nice at this moment. Well, we're going to see how this goes as we continue. Point number three, an angel reveals the power of persistent prayer and a glimpse into the really real. The really real. An angel reveals the power of persistent prayer and a glimpse into the really real. I want you also to notice the ministry of appropriate touch here that the angel gives that we also see in the life of Jesus and we actually see throughout scripture and we are challenged with right now during this pandemic, aren't we? The appropriate ministry of touch. Some of you are excited that the pandemic has meant less hugs. Some of you are very much missing those hugs, right? I want you to notice, <laughs> yes, Teresa. 
I want you to notice the ministry of appropriate touch here. That, that where, where appropriate and where sometimes necessary, God has made us creatures that need to feel touch. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So note and track with this. He's unconscious on the ground and now he's able to get as far up as his hands and knees. You ever been really sick in the bathroom? You're just on the ground and that's about as far as you can get for now? Hands and feet. This is what's happening with Daniel. He's able to get up on his hands and knees. And the angel, he, who owns the hand, (laughs) said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Now that would be really cool to hear from a heavenly being. Daniel heard it in chapter 9. And now we see it again. Man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up confidently. Empowered. What does it say? Trembling. This is not a quick recovery. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And and I just want to stop there and, and... If you are a child of God and you're wrestling with this right now, know that not because of anything that you have done, but because of how God has provided for his children, because he loves us, your words are heard. In heaven, at the throne of Almighty God, where if you thought this astonishing creature was a blast of bright light in reality, imagine that your words are heard at the throne of God. Hebrews tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus has gone before making a way. Christian, your word is heard. Non-Christian, if you're here and not a believer, God hears you, but he does not hear you as a father. And the terrifying thought for you today should be he hears you as a judge. And until you repent and believe in Christ Jesus, that will be the only way that God hears you. You need to come humbly before God and repent of your sins and believe in all that Jesus Christ has done for you because only Jesus has opened the way to God the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. So I want you to be rightly encouraged this morning and I want you, if you're here, to be rightly discouraged this morning if you don't know Jesus. This is why we're here, to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. Daniel stands up. He hears the the angel. And in verse 13, now it gets really, the, the curtain gets opened a little bit for us to peek behind. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Withstood me. Um, my, I, I picture like that offensive lineman in a football game who the guy just comes right out of him, hits him so hard, he stands him up. There's this conflict going on. There's withstanding. They're, they're standing and they're fighting and they're trying to get, use leverage on the other one, which is so weird to think about when you're thinking about these kinds of beings. What must that look like? Astonishing. I keep using that word because it's the best word I found this week to describe what's happening in this chapter. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. They duked it out for three weeks? What What did that look like? But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So a sub came off the bench and helps knock out the other. What is happening here? This is so weird and so crazy. We have so little uh, evidence of this in the rest of Scripture that this is so fascinating. Came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So I think the picture is this. Daniel's morning fasting praying, his word is heard, an angel is sent to to answer him, but is delayed for three weeks to give Daniel the answer. The assumption is if, if the angel has showed up, then the fast is over, the morning is over, and he's got his answer, but he doesn't have his answer. So for three weeks, Daniel continues. And finally, this being, this creature, shows up. What's he doing? To give him more information. To tell him more about what's going to happen. When? Verse 14, in the latter days. 
For the, the vision is for days yet to come. This is what is happening. What is, what is being told to Daniel is, I've got information for you and the implication is it needs to be passed on. It needs to be written down. It needs to be communicated to God's people. I wonder what you think about this delay. Some of you are like, 21 days, that's a long time. And some of you have been, I've been praying for someone for 60 years and haven't seen an answer. And so I think that an application here is patience and perseverance. Daniel doesn't quit. Daniel continues to go to the Lord and ask. And his word is heard, but the answer is not immediate. I found this really helpful from... um, one of the commentators, Stephen Miller, he said this. Why is the delay happening? In this instance, within the omniscient wisdom of God and the divine plan of God, the delay was permitted. Reasons for this delay are not outlined in the text. But it may be assumed that God allowed three weeks to pass in order to perform some work in Daniel's spiritual life or for some un- other unknown purpose. His point is, this is not yin and yang. Okay, this is not the force, the light and the dark. Okay, this is God's armies fighting against the armies of Satan. How that works, some people would claim to know far more than I would be comfortable claiming from the scripture. But what's happening here is for whatever reason, God permits us to wait for the prayer answers in order to teach us valuable lessons. There are also times when God fully intends to respond affirmatively to a request, but in his wisdom delays because he knows the proper time has not yet come. Isn't that true in our lives? We're not in control. We're not demanding from God. You must answer me by Friday or I'm kind of out of this thing. No, we come to God humbly to request, please, Lord, help. And sometimes the answer is immediate. Sometimes the answer comes back no. Sometimes there is no answer for weeks and for longer. I wonder, as you see this prayer ministry of Daniel, some of you remember the song, Dare to be a Daniel. I don't know if some, some of you learned that long ago. I, I, I only heard it through uh, my dad growing up. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Dare to be a Daniel. And I think the picture in the song is this strong young man defiantly standing against the tide of Satan and his minions. And I think that if we put the picture of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 up against that, it actually shows us the great ministry that our senior saints have in prayer. Some of you... Um, older people in the church, you, you don't feel like you can do some of the things you used to do. You can't minister in the ways that you used to minister. And that might be true. And perhaps that is God transitioning your ministry, not retiring you out of one. Daniel here, it does not go home with the exiles, but his ministry is one powerful prayer. And I would ask those of you that are retired, those of you that um, have a lot of free time. Those of you who are older and, and don't feel like you can get down in the trenches of some ministries like you used to, we desperately need your prayers. This church needs your prayers. Please don't give up on that ministry. It's not an official ministry. There's no sign-ups for this one. But we need you praying desperately. Last point. Needed strength is given to God's servant to receive truth about Israel and what is to come? Needed strength is given to God's servant to receive truth about Israel and what is to come. God has given his people up to the Babylonians. We see that in Daniel 1, verse 1. That this is God working. God has given his people up into exile because of their rebellion against him. Daniel repents of those sins for his countrymen in Daniel chapter 9, one of the, the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. And here we see God has not given up on his people. How many of you have met a Hittite in the last few weeks? Anyone met a Babylonian? How many of you know someone who's Jewish? How many of you are Jewish? A few of you have Jewish blood in you. That's amazing. God has provided for his people through, think about the Jewish history. 
through some of the darkest days of human history over the centuries and centuries and centuries. The Holocaust, the Inquisition, the persecution across uh, the world of Jewish people that still happens to this day and yet they persist. Why? Because God is not done with his people. God is not done with his people. Now, when we get down into verse 15, Daniel can only handle so much and he once again turns his face to the ground. He just stood up and now he just is, is weak. His, his face goes to the ground. He can't even speak. He's speechless. And verse 16, is this another angel, a, a new angel, the same angel? I don't know. <laughs> Behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth. It's like he activated him, right? He healed his lips. Similar to what happens to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant, you, talk with, with my Lord? How, how, can, sorry, how can I talk with you? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. He's breathless, he's speechless, he's having a hard time standing up. This is an exhausting interaction. Verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Again, appropriate touch. Encourages and strengthens. And he said, O man greatly loved. Again, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. So notice the the appropriate touch is so helpful for Daniel, but also the words that come out. Be of good courage. Our words have the potential to encourage, encourage, to give courage, to strengthen those around us. We, our words are important. They are weighty. Proverbs says that the power of the tongue, life and death is there. We have the opportunity with our words to encourage and to lift up. Let's make sure that we are doing that. Now, as this happens, he is strengthened and he says, let my Lord speak for you. Strengthen me in verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? I'm like, Why? Tell us, please. We would like this answer. But, like, come on, man, you can't do that to me. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And I think that Daniel is remembering the, the visions of the kings that he's interpreted. He's remembering the statue of of. The, the, the various uh, kingdoms, and he's starting to remember and see the lights go on. Verse 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. This is the only part, the only time in scripture that that phrase is used, the book of truth. What, what does that mean? It's probably something like God's plan. It's like opening up God's daytimer. <laughs> and he has a plan, and he's revealing some of it here. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And then verse 1 of chapter 11 should be included. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That's That him is probably Michael, not Darius. But somehow these angels are working together in spiritual warfare to fight. And I think we ought to be careful to come to very many strong conclusions here. It's not like if 73 of us are praying, it's like at a baseball game, the meter goes up, you know, make some noise. Like, oh, yeah, and the, the angels are like feeling our prayers I'm like whoa okay so I, I don't think that's what's happening because I don't think the Bible tells us that I think Frank Peretti tells us that maybe to some extent but but I think that we gotta be careful to tie to scripture what's in there um, there's not a lot of explanation of how all this works but the fact that it's happening should open our eyes to there is more going on than just human interaction angels and demons are real so that that should Fill us with with a right amount of fear because we don't know what's going on. <laughs> as long as we don't forget that none of those angels or demons are acting independently of God. God is not looking at going, oh no, they're out of control. Right, exactly. He's not, he's not doing that. Somehow God is permitting this, this, this battle to take place and there is no doubt how it ends. There is no doubt how it ends, which we can put our hope in. It doesn't mean that tomorrow is not going to be, is going to be easy because of that. 
well, I know Jesus wins. I know that person died and everything is looking bad. We don't, we don't strut through life like that. But we have an anchor that when the winds are battering us, yes, it's awful and things are bad and we live in a fallen world and you and I are sinners and we're weak and we're frail, but God. That's how we approach this. We, we don't have to understand. In fact, I would be really wary of someone that really tells you they, they have an understanding of all the rankings of the angels and there's the seraphim and the cherubim and the archangels and this is how they're structured and Michael's in charge of these guys and he's got troops over here. What? <laughs> Show me in the scripture. So, this last portion shows us that what is finally going to happen in chapters 11 and 12 is we're going to get to the vision. Remember that? <laughs> There's actually going to be some revelation here. Practically, the whole chapter is trying to get Daniel like, come on, bud, you can do this. Come on, here we go. We're going to give you what's the last vision of your life. That's it. You just got to write this one down and then you can, you can go out, okay? I was going to say in a blaze of glory, but this is kind of the blaze of glory. So this is what is, is leading up to this. So what does this tell us? My goodness, spiritual warfare is exhausting, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote that you've probably heard. When we approach this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Science explains everything. Because it doesn't. (laughs) The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. C.S. Lewis is warning us, I think that's from Screwtape Letters, to, to make sure that we're balancing this out. Yes, there are spiritual forces, yes, they are to be taken seriously, and they are scary, but God is in control. Another a scholar said this, um, Believers should not presume to spot a demon behind every bush, but neither should we assume that demons are dormant. Okay, like a volcano that hasn't gone off in, in thousands of years. And that's how we ought to approach this. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Wow, we forget that one all the time. Election years bring that out really quick, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, cosmic forces. Whoa! (laughs) Which means, I mean, please vote and please be politically active as much as you would like to be there um, in the bounds of Scripture. But understand what is going on here. There are princes behind these nations. Now, I don't pretend to know how they're apportioned. Um, but, but there is much more going on here. And we have what we need to participate in this fight. We don't stand back and go, angels, have at it. No, God has decided in his great wisdom to give us the armor of God so that we can fight in this battle. And you'll notice in Ephesians 6 that all of those uh, pieces of armor are defensive except for one, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Um, we, we need to go into battle with our armor on. Right? The idea is you don't run around with your sword naked. That doesn't help. You're not protected. You need to be protected and have the sword of the Spirit. Also, you don't go out just with the armor and leave your sword. You've got to have the whole thing, the complete package, all together. And I think that that, that what we need to understand here is that when Paul says that we need to have our shoes shod with the gospel of peace and we need to be praying at all times is that prayer is war. That's what prayer is. Prayer is war. That's what's happening in our prayers. One of the commentators said this, we sit comfortably at our desks or tables with a companionable mug of coffee, read the prophets, and scarcely think of how Daniel was physically and emotionally wiped out. How much the word of God cost them. So let's work at it. Have you studied your Bible before and you kind of know everything? Anyone want to? You got it all down? Whole thing? Okay, good. I'm just, we were going to have a word with you if you raised your hand. But, but, but we don't give up. We don't stop. We don't quit. We work at it. And you don't have to be a pastor or an elder to do this. You don't have to have a college or seminary education. You just have to have God's Spirit living in you. Some good curiosity. A concern for God's glory others' eternal states, and this local church. Join us in being students of God's word. All of us. All of us. Be like Jennifer and Savannah 
and Nathan and Patrick and Terry and Stephanie and Sharon and Renee and Troy and Pastor AJ and Pastor Ron and Joe Diaz, who's been teaching our fourth and sixth graders for almost 100 years now. Do that. Step into that and teach. Study. Learn. Spend your time. Listen, you're like, oh, it's really hard. No, it's not. <laughs> because I hear all the songs you've got memorized. I know all the video games that you have like, oh, we got through the level 17 and I know now I know how to go. Whoa, you have all that memorized and you can't memorize one verse? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Put in the work. Study God's word because there is eternal fruit at the end of that. That's what is there. Something that will last you forever. So be encouraged, Christian. You are greatly loved. Just like Daniel. And God has given us more than he gave Daniel. You're like, man, man I'll be, that'd be awesome if an angel showed up. I mean, maybe. Kind of. I mean, it sounds pretty like exhausting and terrifying to me. Um, I'd rather exhaust myself on God's word <laughs> where he has revealed himself kindly to us in words and not primarily flashes of swords and uh, eyes like flaming torches. Someday we'll have a body that can handle that stuff right now. <laughs> I would rather labor in this book. If we understand God's care for us in giving us his word, then we understand that he gave it to us to get it. it it's hard sometimes. We, I read Daniel 10 like 38 times this week. And like the first, the first 37 of them, I felt like, what in the world am I doing? I'm going to call out sick this week. <laughs> this is hard stuff. But you know what? If you just rake the leaves across the yard, you just get a pile of leaves. If you dig, there might be diamonds. There might be gold. But you've got to go get it. And when you get it, it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are in the heavens and you do all that you please. And one day, what pleases you is to throw Satan into the lake of fire where he will never, ever, ever, ever again touch us with his temptations, with his wickedness, and with his evil. Lord, we long for that day and until that day, give us understanding of your word so that we might withstand the schemes of the devil that we would understand that, that you who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Or that we might have confidence that you have revealed to us your word for our good and the glory of your name. Renew in us, rekindle in us a love for your word that we might set aside time, not find time, make time, to be better students of your word so that we might pass it on to those who need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.